Luke 19:45. And he went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold therein and them that bought, saying unto them, It is written, My house is the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and scribes of the chief of the people sought to destroy him and could not find what they might do, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. And it came to pass on one of these days, as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes came unto him with the elders and spake unto him, saying, Tell us, by what authority thou doest these things? Or who is he that gave thee this authority? And he answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one thing, and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then believed ye him not? But if we say of men, all the people will stone us, for they be persuaded that John was a prophet. And they answered that they could not tell whence it was. And Jesus said unto them, Neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. Then he began, then began he to speak to the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard and lent it forth to husbandmen and went to, into a far country for a long time. And at the season he sent a servant to the husbandmen that they should give him the fruit of the vineyard. But the husbandmen beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent another servant. And they beat him also, and entreated him shamefully, and sent him away empty. Again he sent a third, and they wounded him also, and cast him out. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. It may be they will reverence him when they see him. But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? He shall come and destroy these husbandmen and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. And he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the bill is rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall... It will grind him to powder. And the chief priests and scribes the same hour sought to lay hands on him. And they feared the people, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. Let us pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for today. For the day that we can meet together to fellowship with one another. Read your words, sing praises to you. Thank you for your word that you've given to us. For the history of it to show who you are, what you've done, and what you want us to do, and the glories that you have for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us a heart to hear, and ears to hear, and a heart to understand that which is spoken to us today. Be with Steve as he preaches, that he may speak clearly the word of God to us and challenge our hearts to walk closely with you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, David. We have um, three scenes in our passage today. As, as David read it, maybe you saw the sort of, sort of three scenes in the story, three different parts of the story. So we're going to look at each of those scenes together, one by one. And then at the end of the sermon, um, we're going to see 
um, how should we live then? So we're gonna we're going to have here's the here's the three things that happen, the three scenes of the story, and then when we get to the end, we're gonna have three points of application. Um, what does this mean for the way we should live our lives? So that's kind of what we're gonna try to do this morning. Three scenes and then three points of application. Scene one, Jesus cleanses the temple. Jesus cleanses the temple. Um, this is a fascinating. This is just a, um, this is a, this, it would be so interesting to be here to see this. Because Jesus is not, he's not an official employee at the temple. He's not trained. He's not educated. The chief priests and the scribes and the temple leadership They have not authorized Jesus in any way. He doesn't have an all-access pass. He doesn't have security clearance. He doesn't have any... He's an outsider. And he just rolls into the temple like he owns the place. It's fascinating. He enters the temple, verse 45, and drives out those who sold. And then he quotes Scripture to them. It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. It'd be an interesting thing to see because now the the chief priests and the scribes, what do they do with this? How do they respond to this? The the, the temple leadership have they set up they've set up a market in the temple like the temple complex and, and temple property, not in the temple itself, but on the property of the temple, they've set up this market where people could go and they could buy the animals that they would need, the supplies that they would need to offer sacrifice at the temple. So this was a, this is a, uh, the, the, the people had to have this stuff, right? They, they had to have the proper animals. They had to have the proper supplies. In fact, they had to, they had to buy this stuff with Hebrew money, not with Roman money. So first, if they, if they only had Roman money, they would have to exchange their money, get the right kind of shekels, and then they would buy the stuff for the sacrificing. And so you could do that right on temple property. The chief priests had, had kind of organized a, a market there. But they were price gouging. They were ripping people off. One of the reasons that people hated the tax collectors was that they ripped people off and then they pocketed the extra, right? Well, now, the way the chief priests have it set up, have this little market set up, the, the, their, their merchants that work for them are doing the same exact thing. They are lining the chief priests' um, pockets with money and they're making that money off of these people. The people come in, they have to buy the stuff and they're being taken advantage of. They have to exchange the currency and they're being taken advantage of. Jesus, Jesus rolls in. He sees what's happening and he just, and I mean, this is, it is a, um, I read a few commentators just to see what they would say about this. Um, he entered in verse 45 and began to drive out those who sold. That is violence. That's physical violence. Right? There's no other way to, I mean, that's, there's no other way to, to see that besides Jesus was physically violent with these merchants. Commentators don't make a big deal out of it because I don't think they know what to do with it. And Jesus drives them out. Then he begins to preach and to teach. And so, what the, what the, the, the temple leadership want to do, what they want to do, is they want to publicly condemn him right there. They want to say, who gives you the right to do this? 
Who do you think you are? They want to string him up right there. They want to string him up right there. That's what, if, if they could just do whatever they wanted to do, they would, they would go after him right then. They would, they would get him executed right then, then for blasphemy. That's what they want to do. But they're afraid. The, uh, they couldn't do anything. Verse 48, because the people were hanging on his words. The people liked Jesus. So the, the scribes and the priests and the religious leaders, they're, they're kind of stuck. They're kind of stuck. Jesus has come in and he has publicly accused them of being robbers, of being thieves, of taking advantage of people. He's, he has come in and publicly said to anybody listening, these, these people who are in charge are failing you. They are immoral, they are corrupt, they are greedy, they are failing you. He comes in and he acts as if he owns the temple, as if he can do anything he wants in there. He is a complete outsider. What does he think he's doing? Who does he think he is? But the, the scribes and the, and, the, and the temple leadership can't they can't go after him publicly. They can't go after him immediately because they're afraid of the people. So, they try a different tactic. That brings us to scene two. So scene one, Jesus cleanses the temple. Scene two, Jesus answers a question with a question. Starting in verse, or chapter 20. So he's teaching and, he's teaching and preaching in the temple, preaching the gospel. And so he's in, he's in the temple as if he just owns the place. He's come in, tossed people out, and he's teaching and preaching as if he just has an all-access pass. Chief priests and the scribes and the elders came up and said to him, verse 2, tell us by what authority you do these things, or who is it that gives you this authority? Now that's a good question. If, that's a very legitimate question. If, if Jesus is any other person, this is a completely fair question. I, I, uh, um, I have a few uh, pastor friends in town. Um, uh, I'm friends with um, uh, Mark Goodwin over at Christ's Covenant. He's a friend of mine. We and I, he and I don't agree on everything because, because he's not right. And, and, but anyhow, we, we, but we, are, we get along pretty good. And, uh, and if, I went over, if I went over, they have a bookstore in there in their church, they have a nursery. If I went over and just tossed their nursery workers out in the snow, and then I just looked at their books and said, We're, and just got rid of all of it, and then they just stood like in their lobby or whatever and just preached, they would have every right to ask me a few pointed questions, right? Or maybe call the police and have the police ask me a few pointed questions. I have no authority to do that. I have no right to do that. It would be fun. I'm very tempted to. Um, I hadn't thought about it until I was getting this sermon ready, and now I just, if you, if you come and one Sunday I'm not here, just check the news. And so anyhow, um, cause there's a, there's, yeah, the, the, the eighth grade boy who is still alive and well in me loves that idea. Anyhow, um, if Jesus was any other person, then they have every right to say, who do you think you are? Who gives you the right to come in here and do this? Who gave you the authority? Who has licensed you for this? Who's authorized you for this? How do you have any right to come in here and do this? But 
But Jesus isn't just any other person. And here's the thing. Here's the very interesting thing. And we see this in this passage. These guys know it. They know it. They, they, they know Jesus isn't just any other person. Because they know the Scriptures, and they know there's a ton of people saying the Scriptures are being fulfilled in our midst. The blind see. The lame leap for joy. They, these guys know. These, these, these temple leadership, they know that Jesus has raised the dead, that He has calmed the storm, that He has tossed out demons. I mean, some of it they've seen with their own eyes. They know why it is people are saying, I think Jesus is the Messiah. I think He's the one. There's a lot of people saying it, and they know why they're saying it. But these guys won't even give it, they won't even get a, a second thought, will they? They won't even stop and pause and consider, is Jesus the Messiah? They won't do it. Romans teaches us that, um, that, that human beings just suppress the truth that is plain to them. They go out of their way to, to deny truth that is plain. This is, I mean, this is a great example of that. These men know the Word of God. They know the Old Testament. They know. They know that it's being fulfilled right before their very eyes. And they're like, nope, 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 nope. Why? Because they don't like Him. They don't like Him. They don't like the way He, he, the way he preaches. They don't like the way He confronts sin. They don't like Him. They don't want Him to be the Savior and the King because they don't want Him to have authority over them. They don't like Him. They're, re- they're rejecting His authority. And Jesus knows that. And Jesus knows that their, their silly little question, tell us by what authority you do these things or, or who is it that gave you this authority, He knows that their silly little question is a, is a trap, right? He he knows that, that they're trying to get him to say something that, you know, say something publicly that will incriminate him. We're gonna see, they do this a couple more times, we'll see it in, in next week's sermon. Um, they, this is, this is what they're trying to do because they don't have the, they don't have the, the, the backing of the people yet. The, the people aren't with them. They need the, they need the power of the people. They don't have that. And so they're trying to get Jesus to incriminate himself. Jesus, though, is under no obligation to make their life any easier. Now, when he's ready, Jesus is going to walk right into their trap. When Jesus is ready to lay down his life, he will walk right into it. Not because they fooled him. Not because they got him. He wasn't ready. But he has a few things to do between now and then. So until then, he's not going to make their life any easier. He's not interested at all in answering their silly questions, so he's going to ask them one. He's going to say, now, do you guys remember John the Baptist? John the ba- you, didn't, you guys didn't license John the Baptist either. You didn't authorize John the Baptist. John the Baptist didn't have your approval. John the Baptist wasn't trained by you. John the, ba- John the Baptist wasn't, wasn't authorized or employed by you. So what about him? Who gave him the right to baptize? Who gave him the right to, to act as if he spoke for God? I thought you were the ones who spoke on behalf of God. How come John, who has nothing to do with you, is out there doing it? What happened there? So they huddle up. Idiots. Because they got to figure out, they have to figure out how to spin this. 
And so they end up saying what, what they never want to say. This is the last thing they wanted to say, is we don't know. If you're the, if you're the religious authority, you don't want to be the one saying, oh, I don't know. That's not what you want. This is not what they wanted to say. They wanted to say anything but this, but they couldn't. They were stuck. Because if they said what they thought, which is, John the Baptist was an idiot and we hated him, he's out there doing his own thing, nothing to do with us, the fool, then they'd be in huge trouble with the people. But they're absolutely not going to say, John the Baptist was authorized by God, because then Jesus can say, well, so am I. Hmm. Jesus knows that the religious leaders are afraid of the crowds. He knows what's happening in their hearts and minds. He knows the level of rejection. He knows the level of stubbornness. So he's going to tell them a parable that they are going to absolutely hate. He's going to tell them a parable they are going to absolutely hate. So that brings us to scene three. Jesus tells a parable. I wrote these, these scene titles myself. It took me a long time. I looked at it and said, he began to tell a parable. Ah, I know what this one's called. Jesus tells a parable. I can, I can help you guys out with writing papers if you want me to. Verse 9, he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, and they are going... Oh, so this is like a... Okay, so some of Jesus' parables are like very difficult to understand, right? You, you, you read them, you're like, what is, what is going on there? And people listen to it, and they're like, I don't know. Even his disciples, they, they came back later and said, Jesus, I mean, what? What was that? I don't know. What are you talking about? This parable here is clear to everybody. This, is, this reminds me of... Um, Joseph's dreams in the Old Testament. You know when Joseph has the dream that the, that the sun and the moon and the stars all bow down to his star? I mean, the whole family knew what Joseph was saying there. And they did not love it. Uh, they, they said, oh, so you think we're going to bow down to you? Okay, well, we're going to kill you. And that was the way that went. This is what this is. This is not veiled. At, I mean, they know what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says, a man planted a vineyard and led it out to tenants and went to, into another country for a long while. And that was a pretty typical thing that would happen. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. Again, that's, that makes sense. But, this is where the story goes crazy, but the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. How did they think this was going to end? And he sent another servant but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Everybody knows what Jesus is saying here. Everybody knows what he's saying. Because when they heard this, they said, surely not. You surely wouldn't take the kingdom away from the Jerusalem religious leadership. You surely wouldn't take, you surely wouldn't do this. There's no way you would take this, 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 this kingdom away. 
and give it to others. There's no way. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests, just as Jesus predicted, sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. They feared the people. They understood exactly what Jesus was trying to say. Jesus was lumping them in with those who reject the Word of God. The, the, the Jerusalem religious leadership had turned their back on the Word of God and they had done it for, for generations. They had ignored the, the, or abused, or both, the prophets God had sent to warn them. And He had sent them prophet after prophet after prophet. The Old Testament is... It's the story of God's judgment on sin, but it is the story of God's patience. His long-suffering patience. They ignored or abused the prophets God sent to warn them, and now He had sent His Son, and they were going to kill Him. And because they were going to kill Him, they were going to be judged. The kingdom was going to be taken away from them, and they were going to be on the outside looking in. It's very fascinating what Jesus does here, because He quotes Psalm 118, right? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That is the same psalm that the people were singing as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. Right? The blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. That's from Psalm 118. It's, this, it's just this wonderful, it's just this wonderful psalm about the Lord's anointed. Right? It's the, it's the Lord's King. It's, it's, look, here is the Lord's King. Here is the one the King, here is the King the Lord has chosen. Here is the, here is the King. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here is the King. And then it says, this King, he is the, he is the stone that the builders rejected. He has become the cornerstone. He is the one that God is building his kingdom on. He, he is the one. That, that God is, that, that God is setting everything on. He is the one. You, if you're in Him, you will, you will dwell safely and securely forever. If you reject Him, you will be crushed. Now, it's interesting though, because if you're, if you're reading this the first time, or you're singing it or whatever, the first time it's written, a thousand years earlier, the, the, the builders who reject God's King are like the, the pagan foreign nations, right? They're like the they're like the people they're like the Philistines who would try to kill David or something, right? That's who the that's who the builders rejecting the the God's king. That's who they are. Not not now though. When Jesus tells this, he's looking at these religious leaders. He's looking at the at the chief priests and the scribes and the and the and the temple leadership. He's saying, "You are the builders who have rejected the cornerstone." You are the ones who will be crushed. And they don't love it. They don't love that. They, they know exactly what he's saying, and their, their hatred builds up even more for him. They're gonna, and they say to themselves, we are going to 
We're going to. We must stop him. We must kill him. We must put him in the grave. And so they're going to do exactly what Jesus predicted they would do in this parable. They're going to reject Jesus and they're going to be punished for it. This parable is really good news for those who trust in Christ. But it is, it is judgment for those who reject Him. So, so this story, these three scenes, they end sadly, and we're going to see more of it next week as the, as the, the um, Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, and the scribes and the chief priests, they dig their heels in and they go after Jesus. It's a sad story for them. But it doesn't have to be for us. This can be a tremendous help to us. For one thing, it's a wonderful warning, isn't it? It's a, it's a clear, necessary warning. It's, it's God's mercy to us to give us this warning. It's a, it's a question. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Is He your cornerstone? Are you building your life on Him? Have you believed His Gospel? Are you trusting and following Jesus? Is Jesus your Savior and your King? He is your only hope to be forgiven. He is your only hope in life and death. So this morning, I hope and I pray that if you haven't believed the Gospel, you'll do so now. You'll understand that Jesus is your only hope to be saved from your sins. And He is the only King worth your service. And this passage is more than just a warning for us, though, because this passage helps us to, because it shows us, it shows us the great lengths that the, that the religious leaders went to reject Jesus' authority. So we look at those bad examples and we can actually learn some stuff about what it means to submit to Jesus' authority. So really quickly, I have three points of application. Three, three points. Three, here's how we should submit to Jesus' authority in our lives. So we've worked our way through the three scenes. Let's look at these three points of application. Let's ask ourselves, how, how then should we, as we've looked at these stories, how then should we submit to Jesus' authority in our lives? Number one, expect Jesus to confront your sin through His Word. Expect Jesus to confront your sin through His Word. In our first scene, the first thing Jesus does is He goes right after their sin. He goes right after their corruption. He goes right after their greed. He sees it and He goes after it with His Word. He quotes Scripture at them. We should expect this when we open up God's Word, when we, when we study God's Word with others, when we, when we listen to sermons on Sunday, when we, when we engage God's Word, we should expect Jesus to confront our sin. We should expect to feel convicted by His Spirit. Submitting to Jesus' authority in our lives means expecting Him to confront our sin through His Word. And I, and I, just the, just the, the logic of the New Testament, the, the way the New Testament 
teaches us about what it means to continually grow, to continually press forward, to continually be sanctified, to be continually made more and more like Jesus, I, I guarantee you that if you're, if you're reading through the Word of God and you're listening to sermons and Sunday school lessons and you're studying the Word of God with others and, and you're not convicted of your own sin, then you're not submitting to Jesus' authority. We should expect Jesus to confront our sin through His Word. Number two, we must choose biblical conviction over human approval. We must choose biblical conviction over human approval. Um, I know it's easy to zone out, and so... If you've zoned out, zone back in. I don't think that's a thing. Zoning in, that might not be a thing. Come, come back and uh, to me. I know you're thinking about pizza and what toppings and who's going to win the Super Bowl or who's even in the Super Bowl or what is the Super Bowl. You're, all, you're thinking about many, many things. Stick with me for a couple more minutes uh, because we learn something vital in Jesus in this second scene. This, this, this conversation between Jesus and, the, and the, the chief priests and the scribes. Something happens here which is fascinating, which shows us how the human mind works. Because here's the thing. The chief priests are supposed to be the authority on God's Word. If anyone in the nation was submitting to the authority of God, it was those guys, right? That's, that's the way they carried themselves. They carried themselves as if the most important thing to them always was doing what was right. That's what they said. That's, that's what they were known for. But then, when it comes time to make a very, very... Um, important decision, also a very uh, risky decision, a, a very um, confrontational decision. What do they do? They huddle up. And they ask themselves, how is this going to play among the people? What they show us in that moment they're not most concerned with obeying God, with honoring God. They're most concerned with, with keeping their power, with, with, with keeping human approval, keeping their ratings up. They, they don't want to lose influential relationships. They don't, they don't want to lose their, their political influence. Because if, if they truly thought that what Jesus had done was, was desecrated the temple, if they truly believed that, then why didn't they go after him right there? Why did they mess around with it? If someone came in here and did just some, some terrible, blasphemous thing, would, would we say, who gave you the right to do that? I hope not. I hope we'd, have to, we'd go after him. I hope we say, you're never going to come back again. You're never going to say that again. You have no right to say that here. Get out! 
If they truly believed that Jesus was, was desecrating the temple, then why didn't they go after Him? It's because they value human approval over the authority of God. Here's what this means for you and me. We are going to be tempted often. Well, we're going to be we're going to be given the choice often. Am I going to submit to Jesus's authority in his word? Or am I going to maintain human approval? Because there are going to be times in your life where you can't have both. There are going to be times in your life where you are going to risk losing friendships, losing relationships, maybe even like with your with adult sons or daughters. If there are going to be times where you are you are going to have um, you're going to have to choose between saying no, 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 no. This is what the Word of God says. This is what it means. This is the way I must live. This is what I must say. This is, I, I have to submit to the authority of Jesus. I don't, I don't, I'm not looking for awkward conversations. I'm not looking for a mess. I'm not trying to cause a fight. But I, I have to submit to the authority of Jesus. I have to. And so here's what I'm going to do. I can't approve of the way you're living. I can't pretend like this is fine. I can't, I can't pretend like this is no big deal. I have to submit to Jesus. I have to submit to His Word. So if, if I am most concerned, concerned with, with making sure that, that influential people like me support me, if I'm most concerned about what, what think, people think of me, about, about maintaining relationships, uh, if people's approval is my biggest goal, then I'll never submit to Jesus' authority the way I should. It's a perfectly good minor goal to live peaceably, to do all that you can to live peaceably as, as, much as, what, as much as what lies within you. But built into that command is the, is the understanding that sometimes it will not lie within you to do it. It will not be possible. You will not be able to maintain that relationship the way you want to and submit to Jesus. You have to choose submitting to Jesus. So that's the second thing. And then number three, see the end clearly. Final way to submit to Jesus' authority, see the end clearly. Jesus is your cornerstone. He is the one that you are building your whole life on. And if He is the one you are building your whole life on, then, then you are blessed forever. You are going to dwell secure. You're going to dwell in safety and joy forever. If by God's grace, you are trusting and resting in Jesus, then you are safe Forever. See the end clearly. He is your cornerstone. You build your life upon Him. And so when the storms come and beat down upon you, and they will come and beat down upon you, when the storms of life come and they will crash down upon you, you will be safe. He is your only hope in this life and He will see you through. His parable is true. And when the storm of death comes and beats upon you, you will be safe. He will see you through. 
So he came as the Son of God. The parable is true. He came as the Son of God, and he was rejected and killed, and yet he's also the eternal cornerstone. How is someone who was rejected and killed also an eternal cornerstone? Because God raised him from the dead. And since the Son has conquered death, when it comes time for the storm of death to come crashing down on us, he will see us safely through. We will dwell secure forever. That is who our King is. That is the end of our story. And so if we can see that end clearly, what, what happens as we see that end clearly, we say, you know what? The only thing that makes sense is to submit to Him. I'm going to do it now in the little ways, little ways, little ways. Sometimes it's going to be a big way. Sometimes, sometimes it's going to be like a, uh, like a, like, it's going to be confrontational. It's going to be dramatic. It's going to be more awkward than I want it to be. It's going to be this or that. But I'm going to submit to Jesus' authority because I know He is the one who in the end will see me through no matter what, including death. We see that end clearly, then by God's grace, we will want to submit to the authority of Jesus, come what may. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the way You work, the way Your Spirit works through Your Word. And we are not naturally good at um, choosing the authority of Jesus over the approval of men. Lord, we're not naturally good at that, God. We need Your, we need your help. Uh, we need the, the, the strength that only the Spirit can provide for that. We are, we are thankful that Jesus knew full well that the builders were going to reject Him. That the, that, the, that, the, that the builders were going to, that the, that the religious leadership was going to arrest him and condemn him and crucify him. He knew full well that you were going to raise him from the dead so that he could be our eternal cornerstone, our eternal resting place, our safety, our security, our joy forever. We thank you for your great love for us. Help us not to get, uh, help us not to bristle at the authority of Jesus. Help us not to bristle, God. Help me not to bristle when, when I see in your word ways where you, you want to grow me, where you want me to repent, uh, to, to turn away from sin, to fight against temptation to move forward in, in love and service and holiness. Help me, God, not to bristle. Help us all not to bristle. Help us to, when we are confronted with our sin, to submit to the authority of Jesus. When we are, when we are in situations where we have to choose the authority of Jesus over, over human approval, that we will gladly choose the authority of Jesus. And help us to see the end clearly, God. We thank you for your great grace to us in all of this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.